0: Every year in the NFL, it's a new team. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting a fucking ring on our finger. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today is June 2nd, 2019. 98 days to kickoff. That's a new number. Why is it new? Because I had been doing kickoff until the start of the NFL season. I think. Anyhow, 98 days works.
1: So what's that, number two, when the Bucks actually play?
0: The first season game. Okay. Preseason, it's 60, 68 days to kick off.
1: That's not too bad.
0: Yeah. So 98 days until we play San Francisco 49ers at home, September 8th, 425
1: p.m. Oh, it's a late game. Yeah. Ugh.
0: I just noticed that. What if they changed that? Because I swear it was a one o'clock game. Yeah, this is all according to the Buccaneers website.
1: So the first game of the season, and we got to wait till 4 o'clock to even get it.
0: That sucks. It
1: does suck.
0: I hate 4 o'clock games. (laughs) I do, too. I'm usually pretty drunk by 4 o'clock.
1: I know. That's the problem. And then you forget to watch and pay attention. I mean, we're watching it, but you don't pay attention as much.
0: All right. I got some fact checks and follow-ups. Yes. Fact check. JPP has been to the Pro Bowl. Twice, 2011 and 2012. This is contrary to what Rick Stroud said in his Cleveland radio interview when he said that the defense has no Pro Bowl players.
1: He hadn't been since 2012. He's not very popular.
0: No, he's not giving enough gifts out, I guess. I guess. Fact check McCoy's defensive line coaches, there's been six. Rick Stroud said 15 in his radio interview with the Cleveland station, and in May 2018, in an article entitled Gerald McCoy appreciates help on D-line, but knows it will take more than names on paper. He said there were 13 defensive line coaches. So I guess according to him, we added two defensive line coaches last year?
1: They're including all the assistants and all that.
0: Why are they doing that? Why, why to would make they it say look it? worse. Well, Joe Bucks fan even had an article saying the same thing in their article, May 26, 2018, entitled, Maybe the Coaches in the Past Didn't Have the Nutsack okay they also said that Gerald McCoy had 13 defensive line coaches in his career. that's just insane why it's just crazy here are the coaches he's had 2018 he had Brinson Buckner 2017 and 2016 Jay Hayes 2015, 2014 Joe Cullen 2012 and 2013 Randy Melvin 2011 Grady Stretz and 2010 Todd Walsh. So for six years, he only had three defensive line coaches.
1: And it's not like he was the only one on the team that had to endure all these coaches. <laughs> it's
0: true. You know?
1: <laughs> so, speaking of Gerald McCoy, Noah Spence and him were working out in the same facility together. McCoy posted a picture of him on Instagram. Yes,
0: yeah, so that was Saturday. They seemed to be real proud, or Gerald McCoy seemed to be real proud of the fact that they were working on a Saturday morning.
1: Hey, he works on Cinco de Mayo.
0: While most people are drinking, <laughs> right. and he's a Pro Bowl dad, the Bucks wrapped up Phase Three of the off-season program with their last OTA practice on Friday. Mandatory minicamp kicks off on Tuesday.
1: There was a cool tidbit about Matt Gay, the kicker that we drafted, that BI lined him up at the fifty and told him if he hit it, they would end OTAs two periods early, and he did. So everybody got to go home.
0: I remember that same article for Robert Aguayo.
1: Oh, really? Yes.
0: Well, there was a same instance happened to him. It was during the preseason. He was missing kicks, and so during one of the practices, they did the same thing. Had him line up at the 50. If he made it, they would end practice, and he made it.
1: So that means nothing. Means nothing. That's what you're telling me.
0: What I get from it, though, is that B.A. loves to cut practices short.
1: I would, too.
0: He's got his drinking he's got to do. We'll have Sue. we will be at the mandatory minicamp Tuesday.
1: Is it open to the media?
0: I have not a clue.
1: I don't either. I haven't heard. they will probably do what they did with OTAs and have designated days.
0: I'm anxious for these guys to get pads on and start hitting each other.
1: Do they do that in minicamp?
0: Don't know. We'll have to save the answer to that for a follow-up next podcast.
1: I watched the press conference with Sue on Friday, and he's so not what you expect, like based on what he's on the field, and he's just a total opposite. But... One interesting takeaway was that he wanted to come to the Bucs because of Todd Bowles. And he actually met with Todd Bowles when Todd was head coach of the Jets. And he didn't end up going there, but he sounds like he's bought in with Todd and really likes him as a coach.
0: But he played in that division for a year, two years, a few years. So he played the Jets a couple times a year.
1: Oh, right. When he was at Miami.
0: It's funny with the press conferences, he just seems to be all business. Yeah. He doesn't do a lot of joking around and smiling and goofing off and everything.
1: It's probably why the media doesn't like him.
0: Yeah, probably. One of the many reasons.
1: He didn't make a little jab at the media. Somebody asked him about his reputation for being dirty. And he said, I don't really pay attention to those lists. He said, basically, the media shows those clips to make him out to be a bad guy. Of course, the media didn't talk about that.
0: No, I did notice that, that none of the media outlets picked up on that and ran with it in articles. Yeah. Just totally glossed over it. That's mainly because the media sucks. I need to come up with a name for this segment because I'm going to do some more media bashing here. (laughs) If anybody can think of a name, let me know. Thomas Bassinger, the sports writer for the Tampa Bay Times, who in his bio, he claims to be the, quote, sports data reporter, end quote. Uh And he's a pro football focus addict, apparently. He tweeted the other day in response to someone complaining about fans criticizing McCoy. Here's what he said. Quote, Consider the population, a small but vocal one. They can't write articles, compose emails, or form coherent sentences. Twitter is their only forum. Many once had stick carrier in their bios. What happened to their king? They're still parroting his hateful talking points. Sheep. End quote.
1: I took offense to that.
0: You retweeted Adam, didn't you?
1: No, well, not Adam, but I retweeted the quote. I just, to call people dumb because they disagree with you, is it's just childish, but I think that it says something to your position if you can't defend it except by calling people that disagree with you stupid.
0: Well, that's what we had talked about a few podcasts ago, is that you have not been able to criticize Gerald McCoy for years, ever since he's been here. Because if you do, the media comes down on you like a hammer. This is a perfect example. I mean, the guy's not even on the team anymore, and they're still sniffing his jock. Now, Thomas Bassinger, he claims to not be a fan of the Buccaneers, but he loves his job. Which I
1: don't have an issue with media members not being a fan of the team. Not at all. That's fine with me.
0: If you're going to stay objective. Yeah, But these guys are not being objective. Bassinger wrote an article on May 28, 2019, entitled, Is Ndamukong Suh More Dominant Than Gerald McCoy in the Fourth Quarter? Now, notice the Betteridge's Law there. We're going to go over this again. Betteridge's Law is a maxim by Ian Betteridge, where he says, quote, Any headline which ends in a question mark can be answered by the word no. The reason why journalists use that style of headline is that they know the story is probably bullshit and don't actually have the sources and facts to back it up but they still want to run it, end quote. This article is bullshit. One, he uses pro football focus, which they're absolutely horrible. I, I have no respect for anybody that uses them for data analysis. Two, he says that while Sue has generated more fourth quarter and overtime pressures, it's because McCoy was injured more and Sue's teams were not the Bucks. That was basically his summation.
1: They just keep pulling out reasons and excuses. That's Those are new ones.
0: He does some convoluted mental gymnastics that it's almost impossible to understand to come up with the fact that he claims that McCoy was better than Sue in the fourth quarter and overtime, even though the stats show that Sue was better in generating pressure. Now, he brings up pressures as the comparison when Sue is more of a run stopper and McCoy is supposed to be the pass rudger, but he still couldn't outdo Sue in that category unless you go by Bassinger's made up mental contortions. Now, I went back and looked at all of his articles, this Thomas Basinger guy, and it seems like all he does is bash the Buccaneers. He bashed them about Sue. He bashed them about drafting a kicker. He bashed them for signing Blaine Gabbert. He bashed Winston. He wrote an article saying we needed to trade JPP. He bashes Arians. He wrote an article on Winston is going to need a butt pillow because of Arians. Uh, he says Ari- Arians' Arizona tenure was not as great as we remember.
1: Oh, I remember that one.
0: And he said Bucks are going to need more than Arians. He also wrote an article saying that the Buccaneers' window for contention has closed. This guy is just a basket of sunshine. And he wrote an article on April 8th entitled, 2019 NFL Draft, the Buccaneers have been building their defense wrong. Here's a fix. Now, in this article, he says, quote, The blueprint is this. Invest heavily in your secondary and give what's left to the defensive line. That's how the Patriots operate. And it has paid off. As Robert Mays wrote recently for The Ringer, anyone who studies how Bill Belichick and company allocate resources can see that New England never, ever breaks the bank for a pass rusher. End quote.
1: But we need to break the bank for Gerald McCoy.
0: Right. And this guy's been crying for two weeks now because of Gerald McCoy. He's upset that the Bucks got rid of Gerald McCoy, who is a pass rushing defensive tackle with a huge contract. This is after he wrote an article saying we should not have... High priced pass rushers, we should invest in the secondary. And guess what we did during the draft? We invested heavily in the secondary. Did you see an article from him talking about how great the, the draft was from the Buccaneers? No.
1: You know who he was referring to there was JPP.
0: Yes, most likely. That's
1: what he was talking about there.
0: He also had an article entitled, Gerald McCoy versus, versus the Domicong Sue. Are the Buccaneers better off with Sue? Again, notice the Better Law of Headlines there. But let's go through a list of some of his articles. See if you can catch a gist of what this guy's about. Here's one article headline. Jason likes Buccaneers drafts haven't been good and they're getting worse. Another headline. It's not smart to draft kickers, but the Buccaneers haven't gotten the message. Another headline. Who were the draft picks the Buccaneers wanted but didn't get? Notice the Betteridge Law there. Another headline. 2019 NFL odds. Will the Buccaneers go over or under six and a half wins? Notice the Betteridge headline. Another article headline. Here's the reason why the Buccaneers' defense was so awful. Another headline. Jerry McCoy versus Nadamakong Su. Are the Buccaneers better off with Sue? Again, notice Betteridge's Law there. Another article. Is Nadamakong Su more dominant than Jerry McCoy in the fourth quarter? Again, notice the Betteridge's Law of headlines there. Another article headline. The Buccaneers have signed Blaine Gabbert, the worst quarterback available. Oh, lovely. Another headline. Who is Jameis Winston? We still don't know. Again, notice the Betteridge's Law. Another headline. NFL Mock Draft Monday. Will Devin White be Quan Alexander 2.0 for the Buccaneers? Notice again, Betteridge's Law there. It seems like this guy can't do anything but Betteridge's Law headlines because his articles are bullshit. Here's another headline. Here's why it's time for the Buccaneers to trade Jason Pierre-Paul. Another headline. Patriots ran Super Bowl. Preview. The ultimate guide to before, during, and after the game. Now, in this article... He goes on to say, quote, it's time to put some respect on defensive coordinator Wade Phillips' name. To be sure, Los Angeles' offense is the primary reason the Rams are in the Super Bowl, aside from the non-call heard round the world. But the defense, while not as strong as last season's, has the talent to stymie Tom Brady, led by Aaron Donald and who? Ndamukong Sue." The defensive line has generated pressure on 36% of pass plays, the league's highest rate. The more frequent the pressure, the more likely an opponent is to make mistakes. End quote. Now, this guy sits right here in this article, gives Nadamakong Su credit for taking the Rams to the Super Bowl and says that they generated 36%, they generated pressure on 36% of pass plays, the league's highest. And then he goes on to say that that's what makes opponents make mistakes. But yet then when we get Sue, all of a sudden it's, oh, we shouldn't have high-priced defensive linemen, pass rushers. It should all be about the secondary. And he says Sue is not as good as McCoy, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime with his middle gymnastics. It's insanity.
1: I wonder if, you know, the Tampa Bay Times, they've gone to the subscription model, which a lot of the traditional news outlets that used to be papers are— Kind of going to this model and because I can't, you know, it's harder to make money on the free, the free websites with the advertisers and all that. So the internet has really changed how newspapers operate, but I don't know how sustainable that is in the long term. And I wonder, because that whole Tampa Bay Times sports division, I mean, you have Tom Bassinger and Rick Stroud in particular, and those are the two main ones that covers the Bucs. And then there was an editor who wrote an opinion piece, right? Mike Sherman, I think he said, which was negative also. Mm -hmm. And don't they say that negative articles get more clicks than anything positive? So I wonder if that's part of it. It's just... That's what gets the clicks. That's what makes people buy the subscription and want to pay for the articles.
0: Well, I think it's insanity that they're not giving credit to, one, the owners, for dumping a crap ton of money. Oh, and no, doing... the
1: owners are to blame for everything. Yes,
0: they they bash the owners quite a bit. But they're dumping a crap ton of money and doing everything they possibly can to make this team win. They're not giving credit for Arians. You know, Arians has been in the NFL for 25 years. He's only been a part of, what, five or six losing teams in that 25-year span. Yes. He's won two Super Bowls.
1: What was his win percentage? Like 68% or something?
0: Something. It's it pretty high. I've got and to... then
1: he's been to the playoffs um, right. most of those seasons.
0: Yes. As a head coach, his winning percentage is 0. .62. Wow. In his six years as a head coach, he went to the playoffs. Three of those years. In 25 seasons as an NFL coach, 15 of those seasons, they went to the playoffs. And from my notes, what I'm looking at here, he only had four seasons out of 25 years where he was coached on a losing team.
1: What did you say his win percentage was?
0: As a head coach? Yeah. 0.
1: 0.619. Okay. Bill Belichick's is 74.4% win-loss. Mike Tomlin is 65%
0: which Bruce Arians was on Mike Tomlin's staff from 2004 to 2011, and that's where he won two Super Bowls mm-hmm. with, and he went to one, two, three, four, five, six playoff games.
1: Pete Carroll. Six playoff seasons. Pete Carroll has a win-loss of 61.03%.
0: So his record is better than Pete Carroll's.
1: Yep. Sean Payton has a 60.07, <laughs> 87
0: his, his win-loss. record is, is better than Sean Payton's.
1: John Harbaugh is 57.99%.
0: Now, granted, he doesn't have the large data set that these guys do. but uh,
1: He's got a—oh, you mean Arians? Yes. Yeah, okay.
0: But he's got a winning record mentality. He's been in the league for 25 years. His teams that he's, played, that he's coached on, they're winning teams. The guy doesn't know how to lose.
1: Well, even those coaches their first three years, like John Harbaugh, his win-loss percentage was 66.67%. So, in the 60s, right where Bruce Arians is, Mike Tomlin's was 64%.
0: What is that again?
1: This is their win-loss in their first three years as head coach. Okay. Bill Belichick's was 52.08%. Sean Payton's was 52.08%. So, he's up there with those guys.
0: Yes, it's, it's amazing that the press is not glorifying him more. Hell, they're not glorifying him at all. And then, plus, he's bringing in all these... Staff members and assistant coaches, and I mean, the guy to me looks like he really wants to win. I mean, he came out of retirement to coach Jameis Winston and coach this team. He said the other day, when asked what was what position group was performing the best, he said the secondary, and then he went on to say that the secondary is fixed. We have they have fixed the secondary.
1: It's optimistic.
0: Yeah. Well, they spent a lot of draft picks doing it. And and they did. He's been encouraging the existing guys. And I I think that the, the media should be harping on that, not Gerald McCoy and not how bad Winston is or the fact that we got Blaine Gabbert or that we drafted a kicker. I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm looking and I only see four teams where he went that he was a part of four losing teams in 25 years. One of them was the Saints. He was the tight ends coach at the Saints in 1996 and they went three and 13. And then the very next year in 1998, he went to the colts and they went 3 and 13. And then the browns in 2001, they went 7 and 9, and then the browns in 2003, they went 5 and 11, but that's it.
1: He knows how to win.
0: He actually took the browns to the playoffs in 2002. It was the last time they went to the playoffs. He was the offensive coordinator there. Wow. Yeah. they went 9 and 7.
1: I mean, if he could get the browns there. Yeah,
0: and he went 49 and 30 as a head coach. Uh, we have a winning coach. This is, this is the first time in Buccaneers history that I can recall that we've had somebody with this high of a caliber, pedigreed resume come in and coach our team. But you wouldn't know it by listening to the media. Be excited, Buccaneer fans. This guy's going to change everything. He's already changing the defense.
1: Offense didn't need that much. Run game, offensive line. But they didn't really change personnel there.
0: No, not at all, really. I think they're just going to toughen these guys up, and I think that's one of the things with having Sue. Just having Sue in practice going up against our offensive line is going to toughen up our offensive line.
1: Are they going to put him across from Donovan Smith?
0: Donovan Smith? Donovan? Yeah, they're going to have him all across the line.
1: Can you see him and Jensen getting into it?
0: (laughs) It's probably going to happen. I'm sure he's probably going to get into it with every single body, every single person on the offensive line. I guess we need to look back and see in his previous team's if there was any skirmishes during practices with Sue, mm-hmm.
1: he seems really team-oriented. That's what he wanted to talk about in the press conference. He was like, you know, I'm with the Buccaneers. We're focused on winning.
0: Carl Nassib batted down a pass, six foot seven. They said when he did it, he went, he dropped back into coverage and
1: oh, they did that with him last year a little bit. Yeah,
0: and he just reached up with him giant paws <laughs> and knocked it right down. It's one of my favorite plays from last year. I think he's going to be exit in coverage like that, but. Yeah, they said that they tried to throw it over the middle, and he just nonchalantly stuck his hand up, batted it down like it wasn't nothing. Did he
1: even have to jump?
0: No, and they said the defense on the sidelines just went crazy. They were hooting and hollering and stuff.
1: <laughs> I like him.
0: Yeah, a hunchback. He's funny when he goes in. He's got this weird posture that he does.
1: Like a vulture. That kind of That's what yeah. it reminds me of.
0: Yeah, his shoulder's kind of slump forward, or his neck does. It's funny looking. It's different. He comes zipping around that corner looking like a bird of prey. <laughs> We should find something out about JPP soon. When does his guaranteed money kick in? It's sometime soon, isn't it? First of June, I think we had talked about.
1: Joe Buck's fan just published an article, and Arian said in an interview, I think on ESPN, that he's recovering, but we're looking at five to six months. So it's June now. So November, December. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That sucks.
1: Yeah, I do don't know that he'll play this season.
0: And, you know, it's going to happen. We're going to get some more injuries come. But we had so many injuries last year, especially on our defense. The law of averages says that we should have fewer injuries this year than normal if we regress to the mean. Hopefully.
1: Well, they've invested a lot in that, too. They've added that director of, I forget what it was, some kind of science to like Greg Skaggs, some kind of strength and conditioning. God, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> But they've put a lot into that staff, strength and conditioning and... I've
0: always wanted to do a comparison to the rest of the league because I've always felt like the Buccaneers over the past decade have just been injury prone. It just seems like we just can't keep people on the field.
1: Greg Skaggs, Director of Athlete Performance, who's focusing on working with the strength and conditioning trainers to optimize player health and production.
0: See, the owners are dumping all kinds of money into this. Yeah, They want to win
1: It's interesting that Barista Arians identified it as a problem. Because remember, when he was in Arizona, they got hit by a ton of injuries that one year. And Mm -hmm. so he made sure to keep a lot of depth as much as he could after that because he got burned real bad by the injury bug.
0: Well, we've got some players that we are not sure if they're going to be injury-prone throughout their career. I'm talking about O.J. Howard. talking about Vita Vea.
1: Cameron Bright,
0: VH3. All these guys have pretty much showing that they get injured often. Now, is this going to be a recurring problem? We'll find out.
1: Well, and then I wonder if the young guys coming in, what they'll look like. Like, what if it's just kind of like what you said with the CBA, how maybe they get injured the first couple of years when they're not getting paid as much, then they show up later in their mm-hmm. rookie contract. But what if it's just a matter of the speed of the game is so different and so much faster, and yeah. so they're just getting injured
0: because yes. they're
1: not used to it?
0: And also, they're so conscience of injuries now that anytime you get a little tweak or something like that, you get you get off the field. You go see the doctor, and, and you know they'll say, "Oh, it's you know a hamstring or an MCL or an ACL or a CLL or a PFL or a whatever, ADL, DHL, CDL, FedEx, <laughs> USPS, UPS," and you know these guys will sit out over a little bit of pain or whatever because they you know they're all now very conscious about their careers and longevity i grew up old school gonna throw that out there you play
1: through that shit well arians is like that too i think
0: yes yes and that's one of the reasons why he likes sue sue has never missed a game for injury the only time the only reason why he's missed a game has been from suspensions and You want that on your team. You don't want a culture of injury because if your leaders are getting hurt and taking plays off and taking games off for injury, then that makes the new guys go, hey, you know, if I get tweaked somewhere, then I can take a few games off and everything. Go watch North Dallas 40. That's how I grew up watching football. Totally different culture. It's so crazy seeing how the NFL culture has evolved. I'm not saying it's worse or better or anything like that, but I don't know. I enjoyed it when people – Prided themselves in playing through injury, like JPP. JPP prides himself in playing through injury. And Noah Spence did that one year. I think it was 2016 or 2015, where he, you know, hurt his shoulder and he was just like, hey, strap it up. I'm playing. He played the rest of the year, too, with a, I don't know if it was dislocated or whatever, but he had to get surgery at the end of the year.
1: Right. I remember that.
0: Yeah. Which one of these days, we're going to find out why Noah Spence has not seen the field since. It's just crazy. It's insane. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why he hasn't been on the field and, why the media is not more interested in finding out and letting us know why he hasn't been on the field. Now, they said that he had personal issues with Brinson Buckner. There's been reports that he's not mature, that he's not taking it serious. I don't know. it has been all kinds of crazy stuff.
1: I wonder if it's a matter of it's something that would damage his career or reputation, so that's why they're not saying it.
0: Don't know. But I'd like to find out because, you know, when he came in the league watching him on film, I was like, wow, this guy could be elite. And then... Boom, next thing I know, he's getting five snaps a season.
1: Inactive some games. Yeah. I think this is his make-or-break year. If he doesn't show up this year, he's out.
0: No, I think he's going to blow up. I've got all the confidence in the world that he's going to come in. Because he's made for a 3-4 defense. I mean, he's an outside linebacker like crazy. Him and Nassib both. Nassib's 6'7". Long, (laughs) lanky guy. He's got that length. Did he play basketball? (laughs) I'm sure we'll find out. (laughs) You know, and it's crazy with Cleveland how they had to release him because they just had so many edge rushers and defensive linemen that they they had to get rid of good guys. And NASA we were very smart claiming him off waivers.
1: Good move by Jason Light.
0: Quan Alexander was another example of someone who got hurt quite frequently.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a good point.
0: We'll see if uh, Devin White is more solid in that aspect. Levante David has been in and out more than I would like, but not that bad.
1: Yeah. Did you see Devin White sitting on Daisy May? Yeah. He looked like he could touch the ground almost. <laughs> yeah. He's so big. And he
0: posted that it was her birthday <laughs> or somebody did. Did somebody else do it or No, did?
1: he did it. He posed,
0: yeah, it's his horse birthday. Most people have kids and a lot. No, he's got horses. Daisy May. Daisy May.
1: He had a little hat on her and balloons and everything. <laughs> if you haven't seen the picture, you need to go wait, find it. Was it
0: a filter or was it like no, a No, it
1: was. He decorated her <laughs> stall.
0: <laughs> hey, wait a minute. When you have a kid's birthday party, you have pony rides. What do you do for a oh my horse? <laughs> do you have little kid rides where the horse gets to ride a kid?
1: <laughs> That's a question for Devin White. Yes. You know.
0: I think it's funny. I think it's cool.
1: It's a character thing. Like, he's
0: and that, it makes
1: them very interesting.
0: And that him and Beckwith are friends because they both like horses. Yeah. Although Beckwith rides quarter horses, American quarter horses.
1: Worst day of Devin White's life
0: when they went riding <laughs> Beckwith's horses. It was so bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never know, man. People are crazy. So, yeah, the injury bug, it really hit us hard last year, in the secondary especially. Remember, I mean, we had, it was like all rookies back there at one yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, Chris Conte went down.
1: VH three immediately.
0: Yeah, it was nuts. And I Quan mean, went down. I'm interested to see the safety, how that's going to play out. You don't hear much about it. You hear about the cornerbacks. You hear about the linebackers. You hear about the defensive line, but you don't hear about the safeties much. I need to watch that one guy from we got from Green Bay.
1: Kentrell Bryce.
0: Yeah, so no. Whitehead, I really like him.
1: I think they do, too.
0: Yeah, he plays with fire.
1: They've been talking to MJ Stewart up a lot, too.
0: I mean, I really liked MJ Stewart in the preseason. He was just killing it. And then the season rolled around, and he just looked so slow, and he wasn't doing any of the stuff he was doing in the preseason. But then again, and I'm telling you, man, the way they were coaching these guys, a lot of playing on Mike Smith, but you know, they just they were tackling horrible. I hope to God we get away from that. I don't, even, I, I don't even know what it was called. But they were all doing the same thing, that whole diving at the lower body, the hips. and
1: Did you tell me that they didn't tackle in practice?
0: Right, yeah. During Cutter's tenure, they would not tackle to the ground during practice.
1: So did they just like bear hug? I don't understand. <laughs>
0: I guess. And you know, that's the thing about tackling is you only get good at tackling by tackling. There's nothing you can do. It's not like throwing a football or catching a football or anything like that. You have to actually hunt somebody down and take them to the ground to get good at tackling. And if you're not doing it in practice, you're not going to be that good at it when the real time comes. And, man, we were horrible at it. Yeesh.
1: How did nobody bring that up?
0: I know. It was weird. I mean, nobody ever talked about it. it. I know. I was the only person I ever saw. I mean, people would say, oh, we're missing tackles. But I was looking at their technique. Their technique was all all the same. They were all doing it. That's why I know it was coaching. And it was just horrible.
1: Like the same way that they would engage with blockers.
0: Yeah, that was very strange, man.
1: So weird. But... Like no one in the media ever said, "Oh, they don't talk about practice."
0: No, they didn't until after Cutter's gone.
1: Right. I think I heard it on Joe Buck's fan.
0: Yeah, they just casually mentioning it. Well, that, that's weird with the media how it just seems like they hone in on one thing, one issue, and they all do it.
1: Yeah, and they all jump on the bandwagon. Yeah,
0: the same thing, and they'll just pound it to death when you miss stuff like that. What, you know, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear stuff like that. Just give me a whole bunch of details. I'll figure out what's.
1: I really what. like the Peter Cast podcast for that. Ren went to OTAs and was talking about what was happening and the different players and how they structured the practices and what they did with the media.
0: Yes. What you were
1: allowed to see, what you could hear. You know, we don't get that from the media. And I don't know if it's just the curse of knowledge. Like, they don't realize that one, it's something the fans would be interested in, but it's stuff that the fans don't know.
0: Right. Yeah. They're so used to it that they don't realize that other people don't know it. Yeah. That's, that could be true, but no, I think it's more of the fact that they, they like to pick one thing and then just beat it to death. Yeah. And blow it up into some big dramatic crap.
1: B.A. said that Warren Sapp is going to be working with the defensive line oh, at some point. Nice. Yeah.
0: Interesting. He did not like Vita Vea. When Vita Vea first, which I don't blame him, because when Vita Vea first got out there, there were he, he's the one that coined the phrase Velcro Vea, mm. or was that Ian Beckles?
1: I don't remember. I Well... It could have been either one of them.
0: Yeah. I
1: heard it on Ian Beckles.
0: Yeah, I think it was Warren Sapp that coined it. And he was exactly right. I mean, they would get great penetration to push his guys back. And it just seemed like he was so into dominating his linemen that he forgot to pay attention to where the ball was at (laughs) because they would run right beside him and whatever. And he just would be too busy throwing his guy around. But after, like, had that conversation with him, that's when he started seeing him. You know, really focusing on the football. So I, I'd like to know what SAP thinks about him now. If SAP's watched more film on him or whatever, I know SAP was upset about the Gerald McCoy thing, but he didn't. You know, he didn't cry baby about it. No. He does not like Sue either. That's right. Oh yeah, SAP does not like Sue, which is funny to me because if anything, those two were much more similar in their character and their style of play.
1: I think he really took Gerald McCoy under his wing, kind of as a project. Yeah. So that was your guy, and he probably resented the compare, you know, the constant comparison.
0: So that's gonna be interesting watching him out there, coaching Vitavea and the Sioux, two people that he's talked trash about. That's awesome because good. I want to see them all. Ha- let's see him all fight. You know.
1: I don't know though. If you get Warren Sapp talking trash about you, like what do you even say? I
0: know, right?
1: He, I mean, he's up there in age, and he's had a hip surgery, so maybe you could take him. But
0: he'll <laughs> smack you with a big fish that he just caught. <laughs> Oh, well, he loves to fish. But what it'll do, I think, is, you know, get them fired up to prove him wrong. Probably. You know, you got a Hall of Famer coming in and saying, you suck? Shoot. The guy that played your position, probably one of the best that's ever played it. Going to come in and tell you that mess? Oof. Saps a tough guy, but I don't think he could take Sue and Vea. <laughs> Maybe. Well, at his age, I don't think he could take either one of them singly, but I know he couldn't take both of them. So he could probably out smack talk them, though.
1: Oh, absolutely. Which is what
0: he's going to do. You know that's what he's going to do. He's going to get out there and just talk trash to those guys. <laughs> Sue's going to be wanting to stomp on him. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully the injury bug will stay away from us this year. Last year we got hit with it exponentially greater than we should have. We'll regress to the mean or go under it this year, hopefully. We didn't have a lot of injury on offense last year. Our offensive line was pretty healthy. Donovan Smith was there the whole time. Ali Marpet was there the whole time. Jensen was there the whole time. Right guard. Evan Smith got hurt, and then they, so they replaced him with Kappa. You know, Evan Smith and Beninok mm-hmm. were swapping every other quarter at the first half of the year, and then Evan Smith got hurt. And then they started swapping Beninok and Kappa, and then Donovan Smith was there pretty much all year. So the offensive line was healthy. Wouldn't be surprised to see one or two of them go down this year. Don't I'm not saying I want it by any means, but
1: you're talking about the injuries. Remember what Brent Grimes said that players do quit. And they just say that they're injured. Yeah. So I wonder if that's part of the Buccaneers' injury numbers too.
0: Yeah, yeah. You see it with losing teams. You know, once the the season starts progressing and there's really nothing to play for, all of a sudden everybody gets injured. You know, Uh, Mike Evans has stayed pretty healthy.
1: He's so tough.
0: He's cool. I love Mike Evans. I do too. Second best wide receiver in the NFL, and I hate saying that. God, I want to say best wide receiver in the NFL, but oof, can't do it. It's very close. Very, very close. Don't say it. Molly, well, I know what you're getting <laughs> say. Our running back stayed pretty healthy
1: because they never played; they didn't use them.
0: But our concern is uh, OJ Howard at tight end. You know, let's see if he's over his injury bug. See if he can stay healthy. Break goes in and out with injuries.
1: Mm-hmm. Which they brought in that fourth tight end.
0: Yeah, we've got. Yeah, right now we've got six tight ends on the roster. Uh, Bruce Arians likes to keep what four. Yeah. And if the fourth one can't play. Special teams, and they keep him on the practice squad, something like that. Right. Yeah, so we got O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait, Anthony Auclair, our Canadian. That was not a Canadian accent.
1: I, I knew what you were going for.
0: Okay. Jordan Leggett, Don, he's the one we got from the Jets mm-hmm. that they really like. Donnie Ernstberger and Tanner Hudson. So we're, we're going to keep four most likely. It'll probably be those top four, O.J. Howard, Brait, Auclair, and Leggett.
1: I think they like Auclair more for blocking. Which is good because...
0: Yeah, he was the best blocker of the bunch last year, past few years. Not really good, though.
1: Right. I didn't
0: think any of our tight ends were good blockers. Yeah, hopefully the injury bug will stay away from our offense this year. Chris Godwin, Brashard Perriman, Bobo Wilson, Scotty Miller, Justin Watson, Mike Evans. Keep those guys healthy.
1: Which Brashard Perriman is already out of. He was sitting out at OTAs with a shoulder injury, I think. I know.
0: Don't tell me he's going to be one of those guys. Right. Yeah, I remember our defensive line was the most expensive defensive line in the NFL last year, and most of those guys were in and out with injuries the whole year. Hell, yeah. Brian Underig never even saw the field. He I, got the concussion and then never even played, never took a snap.
1: I always forget about him because—
0: Benny Curry was in and out with injuries. Yeah.
1: Bo Allen a little bit, I Bo think. Bo Allen
0: a little bit. Vita. JPP, McCoy, they all—
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How many games did JPP miss last year for from injuries? No, he played all 16 games. Yeah, Played all 16, started all 16. 12 and a half sacks, y'all. What up?
1: I think a few times he came in with like two knee braces on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, he plays hurt. He I know, he all the care. time. Yeah, He does not want to leave the field. And Sue's that way, too. Sue does not want to get off the field. He's a third down defensive tackle. I mean, yeah. a three down defensive tackle. He plays all the time. You know, just like Jerry McCoy. Jerry McCoy was out there all the time, except when he was hurt. But Jerry McCoy was usually the most present defensive line guy and the fact that he got the most snaps. Last year was one of the first years I remember where he wasn't the number one snap getter on the line. JPP got more snaps than Gerald McCoy did.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, even when Gerald McCoy gets injured when he plays, he plays three downs. But then Mike Smith did rotate him in more than usual past few years. Decreased his snap count some, but uh, I think Sue's going to be in there every snap. Yeah. Sue Van, Bo Allen probably.
1: Which I like Bo Allen. No, no,
0: too. Very solid guy. Yeah. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't get pushed out of the way.
1: He's probably a little above the average. Yeah,
0: I'd say average a little average, bit above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very solid, though.
1: And I like that he took a pay cut to yeah, stay here. Gotta love that. Yeah.
0: JPP had 16 and a half sacks in 2011. Wow. Well, wow.
1: He was a young guy then.
0: Yeah, he had 12 and a half in 2014, too. And he's had 71 sacks in his nine-year career.
1: Wow. Well, But let's trade him.
0: (laughs) He's had a touchdown, too, from a fumble recovery. He's had 14 forced fumbles. Wow. He's had two interceptions.
1: (laughs) But we dropped him out in coverage last year a little bit.
0: We dropped Vita Vea out in coverage last year. That was some of the dumbest. I I mean, the guy can't jump a foot. But, I mean, he's, he's really fast and speedy. He's out there. He dropped him out in coverage. One game, I can't remember what game it was. And we had... Seven defenders in coverage, Vita Vea being one of them. They had five receivers went out. It was like third and 15, third and long, something like that. We had to stop them. I think I want to say this. All five of their receivers were open. (laughs) At least three were. I know that. I can't remember, but it was was mind-boggling. I was like, this is the craziest-looking defensive play I think I've ever seen. They dropped Vita Vea back in coverage on a third and long.
1: And then it didn't work.
0: No, there wasn't nobody near him. We had, I want to say, five guys on one side of the field covering absolutely nobody. (laughs) Strange, man. It was strange. Last year was a very, very strange year for defense. We're not going to have that this year, though. We are going to be monstrous. Monstrous, I tell you. I really got to watch more of Bowles' defense. It's hard to, you know, with the Jets, I think he was the defensive coordinator there.
1: No, I think it was Casey Rogers was his defensive coordinator.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, so... It really wasn't his defense there. I mean it would, it might have been him implementing stuff and all that good stuff, but you know it wasn't him. So I look at Arizona defense when he was there, yeah, more so than the Jets defense. So you know when you go from and I'm saying this through experience all the head coaching positions I've had in the NFL. <laughs> when you go from a coordinator position to a head coach position, it's a really big change you know from you know you're only having to deal with one side of the ball. Then all of a sudden, you are in charge of both sides of the ball and managing everybody. Yeah,
1: you're more of a manager than anything.
0: Right. Which I think is what Bruce Arians is really good at, managing people.
1: Yeah. I think he definitely understands what makes people tick.
0: Psychology. Yeah. He's saying he's not as involved with Jameis Winston as I would like him to be. He says that he's basically letting Leftwich and and Clyde and uh, I think Tom Moore is in the room with him, too. So... I don't know about that. I'm like, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Byron Leftwich does. You know, I mean, he was offensive coordinator for the Jaguars last year? Or Arizona? Arizona. I don't know oh, why I'm thinking the Jaguars.
1: He was the quarterback of the Jaguars for a while.
0: Okay. <laughs> I think he was the quarterback with everybody for a while. Yeah. He was quarterback for us for a while. That Then baseball wind-up, he's getting. But he became the offensive coordinator with Arizona after they did their big shakeup. So he was like mid-season, I think, or yeah. whatever. And it was meh. You, know, you can't really tell. So,
1: no, I mean, they were already a sinking ship by that point, I think. You know, they had Josh Rosen, and we saw how yeah, that, that whole, experiment that worked. That disaster. Yeah. Right, so I don't know if it's really a testament to Byron so much. I liked Byron's press conference and the stuff that he was saying at the beginning of the season. You know, his approach to Jameis and the honesty thing, where he just wanted complete honesty from Jameis. And I thought he had a good energy to him.
0: It's just always scary when you have a first-time offensive coordinator. But then again, our offense is so high-powered, I think. Right. Like, God, our tight ends and wide receivers, nobody can cover them. You can't do it. You can't do it.
1: And he's surrounded by veteran coaches. So aside from B.A., you've got Harold Goodwin. You've got Clyde Christensen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's like the youngest guy on the offensive yeah. staff.
0: Yeah. Do you know – you Get so excited about the new season coming up, and you know that's the one thing about off season, Buccaneer fans. We are always so hopeful. It would just be horrible if some disastrous stuff happened, like the whole Chiana debacle with Freeman, or Marissa. yeah, or <laughs> or the team blowing up like they did in 2011 with Raheem Morris, where they just quit on him, or you know, just Lovey Smith, you know. Telling guys not to get excited and cuss before they go out and play, and just totally squash putting a wet blanket on the team before they go out on the field. I can't
1: believe he even did that.
0: You just never know. But I, th- I'm, I'm very excited, man. Everything is looking. If I were to be the owner of a team, this is exactly how I would do it. It's like it's all falling in place exactly how I think it should be done. So therefore, I'm really excited. I think we're gonna we're gonna be stomping everybody.
1: I do too.
0: I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm only seeing three, maybe four. Possible losses? And I'm saying possible because I think we can beat anybody this year.
1: Yeah, I think our floor is 10 and 6.
0: That's our floor? Yeah. Nice. I like you. <laughs> did you say 10 and 6 when we did our predictions a while back?
1: I think so, but, you know, it's on record. I know so. I said 10 and 6. Yeah, I think we both did.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's being conservative, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's my, the worst we're going to do 10 and 6.
0: I mean, you look at Arizona. Arizona went. Bruce Arians came there. Vegas gave them a five, I think it was five or six game over and under. And he ended up taking them 10 and six, I think it was. So he beat Vegas odds by double. And they're giving us, I think six and a half games this year. Yeah. So if he does the double thing again, that's 13 wins. (laughs) Right, yeah. And we've got way more firepower than Arizona did. I mean, they had Larry Fitzgerald, but we've got Mike Evans, who's better than Larry Fitzgerald. We've got O.J. Howard, which is probably the best tight end in the league now that Gronkowski's gone. And we got Cameron Brate; he's not to sneeze at. We've got Peyton Barber, who is highly underrated running back, as long as the defense the offensive line can block for him, give him a little bit of space. You know, Brashard Perriman; you know he's going to be good for taking top off of teams. Chris we got,
1: Godwin. We got
0: Jameis Winston. Chris Godwin. Yeah, you know I still haven't made up my mind about him because when he was given the starting role last year to take over Deshaun Jacksons, he played horrible.
1: Yeah. Hit the drops.
0: Yeah, the, the one game. Gosh, I can't remember his first game starting. He had he was targeted I think ten or eleven times, and he had one catch. It was historically bad. So you know, can he handle that type of load? I don't know that pressure. Don't know. But still, I think we're a better team than Arizona was. Yeah. When Arians got there. So yeah, ten and six. That's that. That's gonna be easy as long as we don't have one of these breakdowns like the Buccaneers <laughs> seem to be notorious for. A Josh Freeman. Drug binge or a MRSA episode, or
1: I think that Bruce Arians runs a tighter ship than that, and I think he is quicker to identify problems and doesn't have an issue heading them off at the pass. Like remember that one guy at Arizona that kept parking in his spot?
0: Yeah, fired him.
1: Fired him. Cut I mean, him. I
0: <laughs> he gave him a warning first. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, he's not going to tolerate that shit.
0: Yeah. Well, you figure Tony Dungy came in here? He had good playing experience he'd been in the nfl for a while as a player and then as assistant coaches and all that good stuff the buccaneers were his first head coaching job then you had john gruden he was a very young head coach he had coached oakland for a couple years but he had a lot of football experience too you know basically raised on football he'd been in the league for quite a while then we had raheem morris who had no even coordination but was he the defensive coordinator I can't remember. Anyhow, he did not have a whole lot of football experience. And then Greg Schiano comes in. He didn't have any NFL experience. Mm-hmm. And then we have Bobby Smith who came in. While he had a lot of football experience and a lot of head coaching experience, his teams were just flat. You know. So this is the first time we've got a guy coming in that's really injecting a lot of energy, has a lot of football experience with winning. Mm-hmm. With winning.
1: Yeah, I think that's the difference.
0: Mm-hmm. And he's innovative and he's different, you know, both in his personality and his coaching style. The way he gets teams to play, yeah, our defense is going to be different all over the place. Crazy attacking, man! I'm telling you, if y'all haven't watched some of Todd Bowles' defense, go watch them. It's you can't tell what's going on. I've been watching football for damn near 50 years, half a century, <laughs> and uh, I can't tell what's going on with his. De- I can't tell who's going to blitz, who's going who's covering who pre-snap. It's impossible, and I'm excited. I'm really excited to see Vita Vea get out there though. You know? and, Tony, man, he's fun to watch.
1: I swear, it's like watching you talk about your child. You just, like, beam a, with I pride. Think,
0: well, I noticed uh, Jason like did that, too. When he talked about Vita ve at a press conference the other day, he just smiled really big when he started talking about him.
1: I think he must be really likable as a person, He too. seems to be, yeah. He just seems like a big teddy bear. And then he gets on the field, and he's, like, ripping dudes' faces off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to... Win everything this year. We're not just going to go 16 and 0. We're going to go 30 and 0. We're going to play other teams' as games just to give them a hand this year. That's how good we're going to be. We're going to say, we're going to take our second stringers and let them play for, I don't know.
1: Whoever's playing the Saints.
0: The Bengals. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's playing the Saints. Like, yeah, we'll let our second stringers come out and play this game for you. No lack of optimism here. But again, I like to watch good games. I love to win. But to me, this is entertainment. I like to watch good games. It's been so long since we've had good games where you go, wow. You walk away and you go, that was some entertaining football. We had a few last year.
1: Beginning of the season, and then it fell off.
0: Uh, There were some some spots here and there where it was like that. But it just seems like we've had flat football for so long. Bobby Smith football was, jeez, that was snooze fest. So, anyhow, let's get excited. Rah, rah. Get our... Pom-poms out. That's going to wrap it up for us. We're going to have our next podcast out Wednesday.
1: Oh, I just put a page up on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, search for Buccaneers Observer. Give us a like and a share.
0: Yeah, we're just going to infect all the social media places. With, we're doing it. Yeah. I hate that because it is. It's just so much to keep track of. You got Facebook. You got Twitter. You got
1: Instagram. Instagram.
0: We don't have Instagram. No. I don't want to have all these. I just like talking about the Bucks, and I don't have to do all this work. <laughs> Keep it up with stuff. YouTube. The YouTubes.
1: If you want to get in touch with me, I can be reached at molly at buccaneersobserver.com. At, at. At, at. If you are in the market for a highly motivated person who'd like to work for themselves and has sales experience, please email your investment opportunities to ralph at buccaneersobserver.com.
0: What was that? I don't even get it. Is that like the Nigerian email thing?
1: If you'd like to sell some knives... <laughs> Looking for a nice salesman, candles, makeup, jewelry, smoothies, wraps. Ralph's your guy.
0: I love spam. Spam, 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 and spam.
1: We're on Twitter at Bucks underscore Observer and on the World Wide Web at BuccaneersObserver.com.
0: Oh, yeah. And if you get a chance, go ahead and share this episode in whatever app you're listening to. Just put us out there, you know, the usual places. Let other people get some of this good stuff, too. Don't be selfish. Till next time.
1: Go Bucks.